Each of Joe's family members and friends is very appreciative of your attendance here today. To express as you're doing your sympathy to them and to assure them of your thoughts and prayers at this time. We are met in God's presence, acknowledging His sovereignty in death as we do in life. And we're here to seek His Word for the comfort and consolation and also the challenge of our hearts. We are aware that it is His Word and His promise alone that brings consolation and challenge to us at such a time as this. To Joe's wife, Jean, son, Danny, daughter, Deborah, and her husband, Chris, daughter, Donna, and her husband, Dermot, granddaughters, Katie Beth and Chloe, grandson, Matthew, sister-in-law, Marion, and all the extended family and friends, we assure you of our prayers, and we convey to you our sympathy. We're going to turn now to our opening praise, and that's a little reminder, let's make sure all the mobile phones are off at this point, that'll be appreciated. But we'll stand as we sing the first hymn, God sent His Son, they called Him Jesus, He came to love, heal and forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon, an empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. And after we sing the hymn, Reverend Paul Thompson, former minister in the Mount Merion congregation, and Joe would have attended there regularly, will come and lead us in our opening prayer. Yeah. 
before we bow our heads in prayer, can I just say to Jean, to Danny, Deborah, Donna, the family, uh, we're deeply saddened at the passing of Joe. We love Joe, and uh, what a great friend he was for many years uh, during our pastorate in Mount Marion. And we trust the Lord. We've been praying for you, and may the Lord continue to comfort you in these days. Let's look to the Lord who gives that comfort. Let us pray. Our gracious Father and our loving God, we come before thee this morning. And we thank thee, Lord, that there is that comfort that is to be found in the person of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank thee for the great high priest of his people who is able to succor them in their time of need. Thank thee, Lord, that he comes with peace and he comes with that blessed assurance that for the one who has passed into eternity, because of his faith in Christ and his union to Christ, he is with the Savior this day. And we do pray for this funeral service, Lord, that it might be of comfort to the family. We thank the Lord for the testimony that Joe Haggins left. Thank the Lord for his family, for his wife, for his children, for all the family circle. We do bring them before thee this day. And we ask, Lord, that thou would be pleased to bless them and to comfort them by thy word. Thank the Lord for the precious word of God. Thank thee, it is the word of comfort. And, O oh Lord, we pray that by thy Spirit, that thou would give grace to those who will take part this day, but especially to the one who is at task of opening the Scriptures and speaking the word of life. O oh God, we do pray that through the life of Joe, that thou would be pleased to bring many into the kingdom of the Savior. We thank thee for his prayer life. Thank thee he was a man who loved the Lord and who gave himself to pray. And Lord, we know that those prayers have been heard by the, the Savior himself and by the Father. So Lord, we do bless thee that there is that comfort in knowing that for the loved one who is now gone to be with thee, that there is that promise that Christ has taken him to be with him. All that the Father has given me shall come to me, and I will in no wise cast them out. We thank you, Lord, that in the life of Johagen, the gospel has done everything that it has promised to do, and it has brought him the whole way home. Our prayer is that this morning in this funeral service of thanksgiving as well, that for those who do not know the Savior, who do not know Joe's Lord and Savior, that they would come this side of eternity to discover the Savior, and to be a willing Savior, to be a great Christ, and to be a friend that comes and sticks closer than any brother. So, Father, we thank Thee for this opportunity to be here, and we pray that Thou would give grace to Thy servant as he leads the remainder of this service. For we ask all these things in our Savior's precious name. Amen. Thank Reverend Thompson very much for opening our service today in prayer. We've come to Bible readings, and Danny is going to do one of those, and then Mr. David Neal, who will be coming up with him from the Bloomfield Gospel Hall, will be reading the Scripture as well. So two Scripture readings now, please.
Proverbs chapter 3, verse 6. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall lead thy, he, he thy paths. I would like to thank all the, thank all family and friends that have supported us at this difficult time and joined us in the service for my late dad, Joe. I would like also to thank Reverend Brown for taking this service and all her support. We'll have a further reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 14. The words of the Lord Jesus. These were words that were of great comfort to Joe, and we do hope and pray that they will be a comfort to Jean and the family just now. John's Gospel, chapter 14, verses 1 to 6. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way, ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. God bless his precious word. Thank Danny and David very much for taking part and bringing those Scripture readings. And that verse that Danny read out of Proverbs was written on the inside cover of his dad's Bible. We're turning to the second hymn in the order of service. That is the famous gospel hymn, Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. And of course, that would have been very much Joe Hagan's own personal testimony. He could say this without a shadow of doubt. So again, we'll stand, please, as we sing, and let's sound it out as we do so. Thank you.
Well, you'll be glad to see me getting away from the microphone and not singing anymore and calling on a proper singer in the form of Mrs. Helen McGill to come and sing to us now. Thank you. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not true, he would have told me so. He has gone away to live in that bright city. He's preparing me a mansion there I know Do not shun the Savior's love from up in glory Or you won't be there to sing redemption's story in my Father's house above are many mansions. If you're saved then to this land, you'll surely go. Jesus died upon the cross to seal my pardon. He died that souls like us may have new life. And I know there soon will come a bright tomorrow. When the world will all be free from sin and strife, do not shun the Savior's love from up in glory, or you won't 
be there to sing redemption's story. In my Father's house above are many mansions. If you're saved then to this land, you'll surely go. I'd like to thank Helen for singing, much appreciated. Joe Hagen was born on Friday the 23rd of February in the year 1940 on Grove Street East in Belfast here to Anna and to Dawson Hagen. He was the last of nine siblings. He had four sisters and therefore four brothers. He attended Elm Grove School Left there at 14, took up employment first with the rope works on each bridge, East Bridge Street, and from there went on to the Sun Blessed Bakery on Dunraven Avenue. The Hagen family was a tight unit, extremely close. Joe remained in constant contact with the siblings, spending some time in Grey Abbey looking after his sister, maintaining daily contact with the rest. How Joe met Jean is quite the story. Jean Shaw, as she was, worked on the Castlereagh Road. And Joe, when he was standing at the corner of Grove Street East, he spotted her again and again. And apparently he tried or claimed in a way many times that he was trying to get her attention. But she kept walking. But not to be denied, Joe arrived at the Strandtown Picture House with a friend Joe at the time was a teddy boy, so he's clad in a blue teddy boy jacket, blue being the favourite colour, everything was blue, and that same jacket has been found again, hiding in a wardrobe. That night they sat together as a group of four. Joe finally got close enough to ask Jean out, and he confessed he'd been praying to meet her. Jean had just turned 19. She and Joe were married in Stormont Presbyterian Church on a bright, sunny Saturday, the 16th of June, 1962, by Reverend Stewart, minister of McGain Memorial, and she was then aged 21. They did as you did back then. They went north to Port Rush for their honeymoon. And from the guest house, they walked four miles along the beaches of the north coast. Married life brought them to set up home in Dunraven Crescent. There they live next door to Harry and Jill. And they embarked on a special scheme to help each other paint their houses. Work started on Harry's house. Joe was up early to work on it on a Saturday morning. Harry lasted 15 minutes at the painting of his own house. Then he retired into the house while Joe painted on to get, he said, something to eat. The next Joe saw of them was Harry and Jill emerging from the house along with a number of suitcases. They shouted up to Joe on his ladder as he painted their house. 
We'll see you in two weeks' time. Off they went on their holidays, leaving a bemused Joe to simply say, Wish I'd thought of that first. The home on Dunraven Crescent was painted, began to fill up with three children arriving, first Danny in 1963, followed by Deborah in 1965, and then Donham in 1973. And family was everything to Joe Hagen. He liked certain sports. Weightlifting was a particular obsession. He was up and at it before breakfast and tested everybody's ability at it if they came to be a visitor in his house. He especially watched rugby, engaged himself in plenty of exercise, supplemented, I'm told, by healthy eating. His favorite, and I'm not so sure that this is terribly healthy, but it was wholemeal bread lashed with peanut butter and jam and topped then with banana, or if there were no bananas, then a pear. Joe imagined everybody in the world would like that combo. And so whenever he claimed that he had made breakfast for his wife, what he really meant was that he had served her a couple of raspberries on top of a piece of burnt toast. To go anywhere with Joe was a considerable health hazard because he was nothing short of a disaster. In earlier years, Robert, Joe's second cousin, discovered that to his cost. He went where Joe led, got stuck in a swamp, lost a brand new shoe. Joe, however, did pull him out, but Robert was left traumatized for the rest of his life. He once took the children into a field in Portaferry near their holiday home. The problem was the field contained at least animals, cows, maybe a bull. And when they took notice of them, Joe frantically ordered them to climb out through a hedge. On one occasion he got lost while exploring in the moorings. Wouldn't be the only one I'm sure, but he went up by Bloody Bridge managed to come down by Hillhead and ended up getting a lift back to where he was trying to go by the local priest. Jean vividly recalls how when they were driving in the Castlereagh Hills and the handbrake on one of his many cars was less than efficient, Joe got her out of the car, was working with a brick, she was, to stop the car rolling, then had to remove it and as Joe sailed on past her down the hill in the car, he just shouted out the window, I can't stop. Joe kept up this form from early morning, it would appear, right through to late at night. On one occasion, he was leaving typically at five o'clock for sun-blessed. And he saw a couple of cars with doors open, feet out on the ground, banged on one of the doors, tried to see what was going on, had a gun put to the back of his head, and as those fellows ran off, Joe hurled his milk bottle at them. When the police appeared, he had some time convincing them that he was not the person causing all the trouble. Anyone who knew Joe will realize that he always had dogs. One of them, 
called Ben. Several in conversation, as I work out, seem to have been called Ben, died. And Joe decided, I can't afford to let the children see the dog dead. So after 12 at night, he proceeded to bury it, took his shovel out, and he started to dig on the other side of a fence from where a member of the security forces lived. And so a phone call went into the police. Somebody is burying guns on the other side of my fence. Even when he went shopping, he could be a nightmare. Deborah vividly recalls one visit to a chemist in Cross Gar. Joe then comes in. Next thing, the complete makeup stand is on the floor with everything rolling everywhere under all the other stands through the shop. Joe was a talker, happy to take his dogs for a walk and stop with anyone for a good long chat. When he became converted to Christ, then the chats were about Christ. He also fancied he was a singer as well. One of his favorites was, when you're smiling, the whole world smiles with you. And there was a time when he thought he was going to win a singing competition. He was convinced he had cracked it, come up with an absolute show stealer written by himself. He even went to the length of buying some expensive equipment to allow him to record his entry. As he belted out, and these were the words, cut your nails, cut your nails. I have no idea what that was about. Deborah did that for her dad in more recent times. When he was ill and wanted his nails to be cut, she came at him with a big pair of scissors that ended up with Joe wailing as the blood came spurting out of his toe. His wife, Jean, may have preferred that it had been his tongue cut rather than his toe. Because due to the illness that he had for about 13 months or so, he lost his taste. But he blamed his wife, insisting that her cooking had, his words, deteriorated. I can't speak of Joe Hagen without outlining the change that occurred in his life that transformed him into the man that he became. While in his younger days he didn't go much to church, he was invited to a mission here in the Martyrs. Then, as he often told me, he was present, one of many, at the grand opening service here of the larger building in 1969. Gene's second cousin, Bertie Crutchley, had a major influence on Joe seeking Christ as his Savior. What he did was he accepted an invitation to go along to the senior citizen's home where Bertie Crutchley was conducting a service on a Sunday evening. It was in Hollywood, private nursing home. And then having completed that, he was invited again the next Sunday because Bertie was preaching at a meeting in the Craigie Tenants Association Hall. On his way out of that meeting, that next Sunday night, he was asked, Do you know you need to be saved? And Joe acknowledged, Well, yes, I do. I do know I need to be saved, but 
Not just now. Like so many, of course. But he went home, got changed into his casual gear, took the dog for a walk. But he had only managed that night to walk about 50 yards when, in the middle of Hamel Drive, he stopped, looked at the brightest stars he'd ever noticed in the sky, and he realized on the spot, I am a sinner, and I need to be saved. And he prayed right there, Lord, I want to be saved. If you'll take me now. And in that moment, his heart bubbled over and over and over. Those are his words. And he felt the burden of sin being lifted. Joe spent the next 20 years in going around those same senior citizens' homes with Bertie Crutchley, singing, speaking out the gospel was in regular attendance at Mount Merion Free Presbyterian Church. And even though throughout the last 13 months when his physical suffering became intense, he did not stop speaking about his Savior. In his own words, and they're taken from a couple of poems or hymns that he wrote, one he entitled, I'll Never Doubt Him. Here's what he said, God loves me. And I can't understand it. Why the Father gave His Son for me. He had to leave the golden streets of heaven. Love took Him down the road to Calvary. No matter what the world may say about Him, I know that Jesus died to set me free. And in my heart, I know I'll never doubt Him. By His blood I claim the victory. Then another hymn, and he wrote several, this one Jesus will walk with me. And that brings us right to where we are today. Jesus, Joe wrote, will walk with me in life's fair morning. When the shadows of evening must come, living or dying, he will not forsake me. Jesus will walk with me all the way home. And on the 24th of January, 2024, our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, did walk with Joe Hagen all the way home. And we thank God for that and for the testimony of one who knew him and walked well with him. 1940. I noted the year of Joe's birth, and a question immediately sprang to my mind. What was happening in the world back in that year when he was born in 1940? Opening month, 5th of January, the first transmission of FM radio was heard with a clear, clear and a static-free signal. Then in February, Pinocchio was released, marking Walt Disney's second feature-length film. At the end of the year, and I know that Joe had an appreciation for boxing as well, Joe Lewis defeated Al McCoy 
winning as he did the heavyweight boxing title in Chicago. But of course we all know that 1940 was a key year in World War II. Some of Joe's brothers served there. In later years, in 1973, Joe himself joined the UDR. But back in 1940, on the 27th of April, Heinrich Himmler, leader of the SS, ordered the establishment of Auschwitz concentration camp. It was opened on the 14th of June in Poland, and around three million Jews would later die there. On the 10th of May in 1940, Winston Churchill became British Prime Minister, replacing Neville Chamberlain. A few days later, as his first speech to the House of Commons, as the new Prime Minister Churchill said, I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. 27th of May, the British and the Allied forces began Operation Dynamo. That was the evacuation of Dunkirk. And they completed the miracle of Dunkirk as it became known. Over 330,000 Allied troops evacuated. 800 vessels used to do that, including fishing boats and pleasure crafts and lifeboats. And on the same day, Churchill said in that famous speech, we shall fight on the seas and oceans. 10th of July the date officially recognized by the British as the start of the Battle of Britain, went on to the 31st of October, and during that time the Blitz began as well. Churchill said at the end of the Royal Air Force, never in the field of human conflict, was so much owed by so many to so few. Because of the year, when Joe Hagen was born, 1940, because of the lar large lifespan to which that points, then a question that I find in the Bible came to mind. And I find it in 2 Samuel chapter 19, the verse 33 and the verse 34. It was a question posed by a man who at that time was just a little younger in age than Joe Hagen reached. The man who asked the question was Barzillai. He was aged 80 at the time. He knew right then, I am not going to live on the earth forever. In fact, my time is almost up. He could virtually see the grains of sand in the egg timer of his life. They're almost completely through. Soon I will be led in the grave. And so when David, his friend, tried to persuade him to accompany him back to the city of Jerusalem when he would once again David sit as king on the throne of Israel. The king said unto Barzillai, Come thou over with me, and I will feed thee with me in Jerusalem. But Barzillai's answer comes back, and it steeped in realism. And Barzillai said to David, How long have I to live? How long? Have I to live? You know, we are wise if at this moment in time we are asking ourselves soberly in the presence of Almighty God, how long have I to live? And some thoughts 
that will help us address the issue. Number one is this. Whatever length of time we have on this earth, it is short. Whatever length of time we have on this earth, it is short. How long have I lived? Maybe long is not really the word. More like the adjective that appears in Psalm 89 in verse 47, remember how short my time is. As I open the Bible and work my way through it, I find the great emphasis in God's Word is not on the length of our time, but on the shortness of our time. We're all familiar with the words in Psalm 90 and verse 10 where we're brought face to face with the potential lifespan of each human being when it says the days of our years are threescore years and ten. And if by reason of strength, as with Joan, they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Now, if you're a child and you're looking forward and you're told at that time you're going to live 70 or 80 years or somebody's pointed out to you and there's a 70-year-old person, there's an 80-year-old person. As a child, you're thinking, that's ancient. That's so far away. But anybody who reaches those marks, looking back, doesn't really think they've lived that terribly long. And those years of childhood to them, they just seem like round the corner yesterday. And of course, when we consider 70 years in the light of endless years, eternity, and make that comparison, 70 years is really nothing. No wonder Job said his life was swifter than a weaver's shuttle. You need to go down to the Ulster Folk Museum in Coltraw to find exactly what he meant there. How that shuttle goes across the loom. He also said, our days upon earth are a shadow. Another expression, thou hast made my days as an handbreadth, the psalmist said in Psalm 39. And if that's not expressive enough, then James in the New Testament said, what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears but a little time and then vanisheth away. Maybe you attend Remembrance Day services and there you're singing, abide with me. Words included there, swift to its close, ebbs out life's little day, earth's joys grow dim, its glories pass away. The truth is, whatever length of time we have on this earth, it is short, shorter than we think, and shortening by the second. Then another truth, whatever length of time we have left on this earth, we must prepare for eternity now. Joe Hagen, as we've heard, did that that night on Hamill Drive. He prepared for eternity there and then because he realized whatever length of time he had left on the earth, he needed to prepare for eternity now. And so with bars alive, the question is, how long have I to live? You know, many people are relying on some second chance beyond the grave, some additional mercy that God has not revealed, some way of salvation, a kind of a back entrance into heaven that's not spoken of in the Bible. The truth is, after this life, there is no further chance of salvation. 
That means you and I need to prepare now. Our Lord Jesus introduces us to a typical man in Luke 12. We begin to call him the rich fool, but really, he represents all of us, whether we are well or poorly off. This man, we're told in Scripture, he thought within himself, what shall I do? He needed more room because he had had a bumper harvest. And he said, this is what I'll do. I'll pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thy knees, eat, drink, and be merry. And I'm sure you've heard that expression, just live life to the full. Eat, drink, and be merry. Well, here's a man who originally said it. And he reckoned he was going to do it for many years, and those vast plans were stretched out over that time. But what he didn't know was that Almighty God had already drawn the boundary line for that man's life on earth. And try as he might, plan as he may, scheme as he did, he was not going to overrun that boundary line or steamroller his way through it. Luke 12 and 20 records, But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee, then who shall those things be which thou had provided? His plans, may be like ours, are reaching into years. But in reality, he only had ours to live. I don't know how long or how short the time I have left, nor do you. What if it should be tonight? We're all aware of the storms that we had just last week. And probably of incidents, one that I know of a friend within the family was standing on a tree that had been felled by the storm. He thought he could move some of the branches. And the big BMW X5 came hurtling down, didn't even see the tree, hit the tree, knocked that Young man that I know right up the road, ruined his vehicle on the other side of the tree. The young man survived with injuries. Another 60-year-old man didn't. When the tree fell in his car, my son was traveling home. He said, had I been going five miles per hour faster than I was going out by Blushian, then that tree that fell in front of me that I just about stopped before would have been on top of me. We can't tell. Life is so uncertain. Once earth is exited, this is what we can be sure about. Once eternity is entered, it is too late to be saved. On the 8th of October, back in 1871, the greatly used American evangelist D.L. Moody preached to the largest congregation he ever had in Chicago. His text was Matthew 27, 22, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? And he brought the sermon to a close, and he gave the congregation this counsel. He said to them, I wish you would take this text home with you, and turn it over in your minds, and next Sunday, we will come to Calvary and the cross and we'll decide what to do with Jesus of Nazareth. Ira Sankey sang the closing hymn. Then the clang of fire bells was held, heard. 
The great fire of Chicago reduced Moody's Hall that he'd preached in that night to ashes. Over 1,000 people perished. Some of them had been members of his audience that night. Moody said, greatest mistake I ever made, telling hearers to postpone until the following Sunday. The most important thing you and I can do in time is to make preparation for eternity. For here's the question, how long have I to live? Whatever length of time we have left on this earth, it is short. Whatever length of time we have left on this earth, we must prepare for eternity now. And the final thought, whatever length of time we have left on this earth, there is only one way in which we can prepare for eternity. Whatever length of time we have left on this earth, there is only one way in which you and I can prepare for eternity. Sometimes interesting to throw out the question, do you want to go to heaven? And almost universally the answer is, yes I do. And increasingly, I get the impression, many people kind of imagine, well, everybody is going to heaven. No matter what preparation they've made or haven't made for going there, no matter how they have lived on this earth, it would seem it doesn't matter what you believe, doesn't matter how you behave, whether or not you've spent a second living and loving Christ on earth or not, it seems by the propaganda, everybody's guaranteed to get there in the end. I am not the gatekeeper of heaven. My Lord Jesus Christ is. I have no right to set the entrance qualifications, but it's His city, so He does. How does anyone get to heaven? Don't let anyone tell you there are two or three or a multitude of ways to God and to His heaven. Years ago, there was a blind man and he was reading his Braille Bible on one of London's bridges, Westminster Bridge. And a crowd gathered on the bridge to hear him. And suddenly he came to the words of Acts chapter 4, the verse 12, and the blind man lost his place. And he kept repeating the last three words that he had read as he's struggling to regain the place. None other name, none other name, none other name. And the crowd began to smile and some snigger. But a man walking home from out of the city that day, he didn't laugh. Those words, none other name, fastened onto his heart, brought him to the Savior. The full verse that that blind man was reading is this, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved, only Jesus saves. Good works, don't do it. Doing the best you can, don't do it. Church attendance, doesn't do it. Church contributions don't do it. All good in their own way, commendable, but they're not converting. They will never see us into heaven. Just as well. Otherwise, that dying thief would never have stood a chance. He was only breaths away from death. He couldn't embark on some moral crusade now and do a lot of good works now. However, the moment a sinner believes and trusts in a crucified God, a pardon 
at once he receives salvation in full through the blood. And that's exactly what happened to Joe Hagen in Hamel Drive that day that he called on Jesus Christ. And it can happen to you as quickly and as securely as it happened to him. We're closing our service with that final hymn, Face to Face with Christ my Savior, Face to Face, what will it be? And as we finish the hymn, Reverend David McLaughlin, the minister of our Carrie Duff congregation, will come forward and close our meeting, please, in prayer. But let's stand as we sing face to face with Christ my Savior. This is reality for Joe Hagen now.
the special word of thanks in the order of service to Dr. Scott, the Bryson care workers, district nurses, uh, to Kate as well, and George and Margaret, I've been asked to add, David and Andy, Nora, David Neal, and Trevor Maxwell, all of whose support the family has greatly appreciated uh, in recent days and much longer as well than that. There are refreshments provided immediately after this service upstairs, above this uh, roof, essentially, in the Jubilee Hall, and you're all invited to come for a cup of tea uh, right now. Reverend McLaughlin. Before we unite in prayer, can I just offer my deepest sympathy to the Hagen family? It was a privilege to know Joe and to read the Word of God with him and to learn some things about him, and we've learned some more things today. Let's just bow together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank thee in the precious name of the Lord Jesus for this service of thanksgiving for the late Joe Hagan. We bless thee, O God, for the day of his birth. We thank thee for the life that he lived, and the precious memories that he has left with his dear family. And we realize, Lord, that they sorrow and their hearts are heavy at this time. And we no doubt that they will miss the physical presence of their loved one. And, oh God, we just know that in all of the change that death brings into a life and family, oh God, there's an ache and a void. And we pray that thou will draw near. We thank you for thy word and thy word of comfort, especially to the family at this time. And we ask thee in particular that you'll remember Jean here. Undertake for Danny. Do you remember Debbie and Donna? Remember Chris and the rest of the family circle? We lift them to thee and we pray that you'll draw near and put your loving arms around about them and help them to remember at this time the eternal God is thy refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. In those arms of love, may they find strength and help for the days that lie ahead. We thank thee especially today also for the news of the day of Joe's second birth. And we know, Lord, in the moment he closed his eyes in death, in an instant it was absent from the body and present with the Lord. We thank thee that in the 24th of this month, he went sweeping through the gates of the new Jerusalem, washed in the blood of the Lamb. And Lord, we're glad that he's left a testimony to thy saving and keeping power. We thank thee for the life that he lived, the testimony that's left, the testimony that's online. And we ask you, O oh God, to continue to use it and to speak to many here that may be yet without Christ. We thank you for thy word. How long have I to live? Time is short. And we pray, Lord, that individuals will discover how to make the proper preparation in light of the great eternity, and that they will come to know Joe's wonderful Redeemer and Savior, and that they too will testify that as a result of a service like this, as a result of a, a life well lived and a testimony, that they too have come to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We thank you now for this service. We thank you for Dr. Brown and his ministry today. We thank you for the cup of tea that's provided. And we commend, Lord, ourselves to thee, even as we have fellowship around the tea. O God, we pray that you'll linger with us by thy presence. Grant us thy peace. And then, O God, as the family uh, lays to rest the earthly remains of their loved one, we pray that they know the help of the Lord, even at the graveside. Lord, hear and answer prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.